0: Today's sponsor is EveryPlate. Initially, I thought meal kits had to be expensive, that there were kind of a splurge. But as it turns out, EveryPlate is more affordable than groceries. Their quality ingredients come pre-portioned to help you save money and reduce food waste. You know, like the bag of spinach that I throw out every single week. You can skip the store and let EveryPlate plan, shop, and deliver everything you need to cook a delicious meal at a consistently low price. For me, in the summer, I'd rather be out enjoying the sunshine than cooking. EveryPlate helps me do just that. veggie plate, family plate, and easy plate preferences to serve up crowd-pleasing meals night after night. Try EveryPlate for just $1.79 per meal by going to everyplate.com and entering the code SELFIE179. Again, that's $1.79 per meal at everyplate.com with the code SELFIE179. Today's episode is sponsored by Soma Vedic. Somovetic devices rely on frequency therapies and the healing powers of precious and semi-precious stones and metals to create a natural energy field to harmonize your home. If you want to try SomaVetic, they have a 60-day money-back guarantee to let you try. Visit SomaVetic.com and use the code SELFIE for 10% off. That's S-O-M-A-V-E-D-I-C.com with the code SELFIE for 10% off. Hey, everyone. I'm Kristen Howerton, a writer and a psychotherapist. And I'm Rue Powell, an admitted workaholic and self-care Luddite. And you are listening to SELFIE, a weekly podcast about women learning to take better care of themselves. We
1: think self-care is important
0: Hey guys, well, today we wanted to take a pause and talk about what's going on in our nation. The shooting in Atlanta has created a moment of visibility and conversation around the ongoing racism that the AAPI community in the United States have experienced. We're going to be chatting with Kathy Kong. She's the author of Raise Your Voice, and she is an anti racism advocate. She's also a member of our Selfie podcast community. We're going to be talking about how to be a better ally to our Asian American community. I'm also going to be chatting with BJ. We're going to be talking about an article that she shared in our community about the pandemic void that only friendships can fill. But first, I'm going to be doing a self-care check-in with Rue. Rue, how's your self-care going? Hi. Well, I think this is so timely because I feel like
1: right now I miss people and I don't I mean, I'm around wonderful people, especially with work, and you know, I love my family. But there are people that I haven't seen that I usually see, even if it's once or twice a year, and I miss them terribly. Mm. Um, and I'm, you know, and this this thing with the pandemic is, I wonder if some relationships have just irreversibly changed, right? Like, this too. is just, yeah, and I can't tell. I can't tell if it means that the ones I'm holding on to are more meaningful or if this is a loss I'm going to mourn or maybe a combination of it. So I've been thinking about that lately, but I feel also really um, heartened by these, you know, friendships that I do have, even if it is super text, you know, text heavy. Like I have this friend that I speak with regularly, but we're only texting because that's all we can
2: mm-hmm. afford
1: right now mm-hmm. with busyness and the pandemic. So I'm really glad that, um, you know, you and BJ are speaking about this because I think this is something that I've been really feeling lately too, especially now that we're past the year mark. And I don't know, like, I think a year ago, we all thought this could go on for a while. But I think the fact that it's been a year, it's like this wall. And maybe it's another level of mourning. You know what I mean? I think so, too. I mean, my, I have a niece and she's going to turn one next month and I've never met her.
0: That makes me so sad.
1: Yeah, I'm really sad about it. I'm really sad about it because um, you know, my they're in London and it's not a trip that we can take. No, and and, and
0: that's like who even knows when?
1: Right. Right. So I am
0: you know, those are the things that I'm really sad about, certainly. Totally. No, I know. I haven't seen my family. My kids haven't seen their cousins who live in Florida you know in a year or more yeah um yeah and then on that note i mean it's funny that we're all talking about this because what i had want wanted to talk about in terms of self-care is just noticing how poor my socialization muscles are (laughs) right now. Like, I feel like it's going to take me a while to build up the stamina, stamina. Once we can see people, it's like I miss people. But then for example, I do have a couple other girlfriends who have either had the vaccine or have had COVID. And, you know, I was very strict um, throughout COVID. Like I didn't have another person in my house. Mm-hmm. you know, outside of our family of origin. But now that I have been vaccinated and I have a couple friends who've been vaccinated, like we've done a couple hangouts um, and it feels really weird, like really foreign and weird and anxiety provoking. Yeah. Like It's actually, it's weird
1: seeing people's faces too. It's super weird. It's like, well, that's what your mouth looks like? Whoa. It's super <laughs> weird.
0: Like my friend w- came over and she came into my living room and she's talking and I'm like, freaking out that like, no one has been in my space in a year. Like, that's all I can think about is just like, I don't know. How do I do this? Like, I don't know how to do this. So I think we're all going to have, I mean, you know, what you're talking about, which is, you know, repairing friendships, but then also just like, getting those muscles back, getting that stamina back to be social, because we've been so isolated. And then are we just never going to hug again? My friends and I did hug. Yeah. We did hug. I will say, because I'm kind
1: of in a bubble with the people that I'm working with, and I am um, working on this difficult thing, and, I, you know, a bunch of us are getting tested um, three times a week, I have been hugging, and it feels
0: so cathartic. It's so Um, nice. Yeah, it is really nice. I know. I know there's different views on, you know – having the vaccine and what that permits you to do. And I'm still very cautious of spreading COVID, you know, making sure mm-hmm. that I'm being, but with my friends that I know I'm vaccinated, I do feel comfortable like that, you know, we can hug each other. And I'm That's very good. anxious for that to be the case for everyone. Mm. Cause well, we what all are your, need it. Well, what are your two thumbs up for the week? Well, I'm just bringing the edge with my kitchen recommendations lately. Yes. Last week it was dish towels. I don't know yes. if you're ready for the hand immersion blender I'm about to talk about. Oh
1: my gosh. I my, don't know. my loins are
0: girded. Speaking of isolation and losing <laughs> our social skills, like all of my pandemic recommendations are just like here's things you can use alone in your kitchen. <laughs> But I did get an immersion blender. I don't know why. I feel like it's just something I've never invested in. Um, but it's really great. I use it just about every day. I use a collagen mix in the morning. Like I mix collagen in with, um, you know, like a nut milk. Mm -hmm. And you know, if, have you ever used collagen? Like it, yes, I don't, I don't understand.
1: Like it, I don't know how you guys drink it. I they're like, oh, it's tasteless, and I put it in my coffee,
0: and I'm like, I am drinking bone broth right now. I do not think it's tasteless. Anyone who says that is a liar. Um, and so I think it has to be heavily flavored. Mm. The one that I use is, um, oh my gosh, I can't think of the name of it, but I'll put it in the show notes when my is brain it the Vital Proteins again. one? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And it's flavored. Like you have to use a flavor to me. I mean, otherwise, yes, it just tastes weird. But it's also a weird consistency. And the immersion blender helps a lot with that. Um, And then my second two thumbs up is we are rewatching Dairy Girls. Have you ever seen that show? I haven't, but I've heard that it's so good. And I, I feel like I should start. It's so good. It's very much in the vein of like Schitt's Creek. I mean, it's it's four teenage girls and they are just they're messy and they're dramatic and they're hilarious. Um, it's super cute. Yeah, it's a really good show. So we're re watching that one and I'm like, it's just it makes me happy. It feels like a comfort watch. Oh. What about you?
1: Well, uh, yesterday was my birthday. Yay. Um, um and what I got for myself was actually really for my kids too. So I have, you know, one of my daughters is allergic to milk and eggs. And then, you know, one of my daughters is super allergic to peanuts. So and I always want to, you know, have cake with them. And um, we we make vegan stuff, but it's always special to get something from a bakery. But we yeah. can't ever really get anything good from a bakery. So there's this place in um, New York City called Baked by Melissa. Oh, and they, I know it.
0: I know this. Oh. The teeny
1: tiny cupcakes. They're so tiny. They're not even mini cupcakes. They're like mini, mini cupcakes. But they come in these. Like, I love them. Cute packaging. All these flavors. Yes. And because it's like a bakery thing and they never get anything from a bakery, it's so special for us yeah. so i ordered it for my birthday so you know and they have we did the vegan box it's also nut free and it's it's just it's like an event it becomes an event in our house um which is nice because you know that's how i want to celebrate my birthday right is to is Dude, so I did that-
0: not realize that they shipped i only know yes. them from like being in new york and when my girls were there we went there every single day so i am for sure, ordering these for the next birthday as a surprise, my girls will be so delighted to have them at home.
1: Yeah, it's it's so nice. And I so um, my middle's birthday was you know last month, and I surprised her with these, and it was honestly the first time that she's ever had like really like a really beautiful anything from a bakery. It's yeah. always been homemade or like yeah. a slightly like weird tasting, a little sawdusty you know cake. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was it was. Yeah, it was magical. Like, I could, I could cry talking about how excited oh, she was. So, I, love I um, that. yeah, so this is, so this is really exciting. And they're very sweet, too. At one point, like, I screwed up an order and I accidentally got the one with nuts and I freaked out and they're like, no problem. And they like, and they super shipped me another one. And yeah, they're great. So I'm really, um, super happy about cool. that. My second one is something I think you'll like, which is, you know, I love like fun facts and kind of, you know, a coffee table book. So Mm -hmm. um, the Encyclopedia of New York, it's (gasps) done by New York Magazine. And it's really, really cool. It's really, really cool. I mean, it just has such really good history and it's fun to flip through. And so I put this on my birthday list and I got it and I was very
0: excited to get it. So you have um, single handedly just told me what I'm getting India for her birthday. I'm going to get her (laughs) cupcakes by Melissa and the Encyclopedia of New York. It's
1: perfect. Every time you. you talk about india and when india is angry and i'm angry with her or when in india finds a tiktok and i've seen that one i feel like <laughs> i feel like either i there's something wrong with me or india is just like this very mature 38 year old and you don't realize it she's a very mature 38 year old okay well yeah. that's that makes me feel better well
0: did i tell you that she took tiktok off her phone <laughs> you did and you know what i thought should I take TikTok on I my know. phone? And I was like, no, I'm not going to do that. But yeah, good I for like, her. She loves TikTok. I'm like, why did you do that? And she's like, I just was too distracting. like are you Uh, okay do you have a fever no i love that and 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 god
1: give me that kind of self-awareness and then not only the self-awareness but the discipline to do something about it so yeah but get her this book too she will she will love it it's got like you know milestones and like fun facts and just the different village like the different neighborhoods and like I don't know Uh, cultural innovation so it's super cool she'll
0: love it I miss my girlfriends but I also really miss New York maybe yeah
1: yeah no I I I get that I get that so um yeah I mean I can't imagine how many Broadway tickets you're gonna buy once this pandemic's over
0: it's not even funny our local Broadway um series is very optimistically doing a fall season and I have bought them already amazing I love that Night Shift is their dermatologist formulated serum that's tailored to your skin by doctors online. Dear Brightly works by you first of all, starting by sharing your skin story with them. Then a doctor evaluates your skin and your skin history. They then tailor your formula and write a prescription if applicable and your tailored serum will be delivered to you in the mail. It's super simple and easy. Head to www.dearbrightly.com and enter the promo code SELFIE to get 15% off your first order, which is their very best offer anywhere. That's S-E-L-F-I-E to get 15% off your first order at dearbrightly.com automating things. You never have to worry about dull blades because they send refills on your schedule. You just choose how often you want them and they will send them automatically with free shipping. I would also highly recommend their cloud shave foam too. It's insanely thick and stays on while you shave so you don't have to reapply. It leaves your skin feeling very moisturized. It's really, really good. If you want to try a great quality razor that cuts down on the wastefulness of disposable razors, try Athena Club razor kit. You can get 20% off your first order at athenaclub.com with the promo code selfie. That's a-t-h-e-n-a-c-l-u-b.com with a promo code SELFIE for 20% off. we want to take a quick break to talk about one of our sponsors, in our Facebook community group, we talk a lot about eye creams. And we and I got the total eye lift from our sponsor, Clarins, recently, and it is fantastic. It's a plant-based formula. It's fueled by ingredients of 94% natural origin. It has a combo of organic harangana extract and cassiflower wax, which gives a visible lifting and wrinkle smoothing effect and it's packaged in a really nice eco-friendly airless bottle made of recycled glass. I'm a sucker for packaging, and this one is a good one. What I also really like about it is that it's an all-in-one. It does it all. It works on crow's feet, dark circles, and puffiness. It's also an anti-aging cream. You can take aim at a whole bunch of issues at once. I also have really sensitive eyes. I've talked about that before, and this one is suitable for all kinds of skin types, including us sensitive folks, even people who wear contacts. 80% of women who've tried it were reported a visible eye lift in 60 seconds and 86% noticed a visible difference in 4 weeks and visibly firmer skin. I can attest I've really noticed a difference as well. Discover more about Clarins products at clarinsusa.com and get 10% off your purchase of Total Eye Lift with the code SELFIE10. That's clarinsusa.com c l a r i n s usa.com and get 10% off of the Total Eye Lift with the code SELFIE10. Today I have the pleasure of talking with my friend Kathy Kong. She is the author of Raise Your Voice, Why We Stay Silent, and How to Speak Up. And she is a longtime partner and advocate with pastors and leaders to highlight conversations around race, ethnicity, and gender within the church. Over the past week, the Atlanta shooting has created a moment of visibility about racism against the AAPI community. And she is here to talk to us about that and about how to be better allies to our Asian American friends in the midst of this. Well, hey, Kathy, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me on. Well, it's fun to have you on on a number of levels, first of all, in that I have not seen you in a very
2: long time. And we usually see each other about once a year. Yeah, I think the last time we saw each other, we uh, took a picture with a very strange looking baby Jesus. I think we did. Yep. (laughs) That feels on brand. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That
0: feels on brand. (laughs) Yes. Um, And I'm glad, you know, that we're having you on to talk about this because you are a member of our Selfie Podcast community. So it feels like, you
2: know, we've got an in-house expert a bit. It's a great community. If I ever have a question that I'm thinking about asking, somebody usually is already jumped on and asked. <laughs> right. It's so, so true. Yeah. It's so true.
0: Okay, so let's dive in. We are going to be talking about, you know, the Asian American prejudice that is has it's a topic that's been bubbling up. It's interesting because I think similar to George George Floyd, it's become a moment of national attention, but this is something that you have known about for a long time. This Correct. is not a surprise for you. So what's that like for you to see the nation reckoning with this topic that
2: you've really been banging the drum for for a long time? Well, there's a moment where I'm just on the ground yeah. and just yeah. feeling very... um torn you know wanting to be thankful that people are paying attention but also screaming to the void why did it take 6 uh-huh. asian asian american women to be gunned down mm-hmm. for anybody to care mm-hmm. and i know that People have cared. I know I'm not the only one banging this drum, yeah. but for it to get national attention, it has to also be connected to gun violence. Mm-hmm. So I think that there's something in there that I haven't fully processed about mm-hmm. the need for a marginalized community to experience violence mm-hmm. that renders national attention. Yes,
0: i agree it's um it's baffling to me that it it takes a lot for us to extend that empathy um mm-hmm. and to kind of think outside of ourselves and it's almost like we you know it, as you said i mean it, it takes it takes a really violent and horrible thing to rattle people out of that that complacency i i'm not asian American but I can't imagine like what has what has the Atlanta shooting rippled across the Asian American
2: community? Like what, you know, what has that experience been like? It feels a bit like, um, constant ripples. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> a little bit like being out of control in a wave pool. Uh-huh. And, um, you know, so many layers that are being revealed and processed around gender violence, around, uh-huh. uh, uh, sex work and whether or not our communities are prepared to talk about that, right? Mm-hmm. So broadly for women and for the country, and then specifically for Asian Americans, even more specifically Korean Americans to talk about the connotations and the assumptions being made about what these women did or did not do mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and how that's connected to the location of the shootings, mm-hmm. right? Then there's the violence, there's the gun violence, and then all of this happening while we are still in a global pandemic, right? while we are still kind of reeling from that. And while for more than a year, the Asian American community has been saying the moment COVID-19 hit the news and the way the virus was racialized was going to impact our communities and feeling like no one was going to believe us. Uh And Uh now that we have vaccinations happening, oh, now you're going to listen because Mm. six women were gunned down. Right. That feels a little overwhelming. Uh, It strikes me that we've watched
0: our president, the president of our country for the last four years, but particularly, as you said, the last one year, use really racialized terms in talking about the pandemic. How do you think that has led to racism and violence against the Asian American community?
2: Oh, it gave it permission. Yeah. Right. I think it gave permission and it's not just this, right? I mean, it was years of permission for racist, Mm -hmm. sexist, awful language Mm -hmm. and then permission to say it and act out on it, uh, with a cloak of you know, First Amendment rights, Mm -hmm. whatever. Mm -hmm. And so it doesn't and didn't surprise any of us when he racialized the virus Mm -hmm. and continued to use those terms Mm -hmm. and that it actually does trickle down, unlike the economics of that party, that it gave regular people permission to use that language. Uh So, for example, here where I live in Libertyville, Illinois, we have a a candidate for school board who uses those terms freely (sighs) and claims that that is not racist. Mm -hmm. And that just infuriates me as a parent and as a neighbor and as a voter. Mm -hmm. And that came directly from the last administration, however, it's not new, so that's the other thing is that calling it out at that point was also reminding people this is not a new thing. it's just that uh there's a tendency one to downplay it mm-hmm. and that not of not all of the things that happen to us are considered racist or right. racialized, right so even the shooting there's right. argument right. amongst folks that you know well, let's wait for all the facts
0: uh-huh. I have a sense that, as a nation, we tolerate racism towards Asian Americans more than we would to other communities. Do you have that same sense? Like, you know, the the, the way that he was calling it, you know? Yes. I feel like that wouldn't <laughs> have been tolerated if he'd been using slurs that were directed towards maybe the African American community. Do you have that same sense?
2: I do. And I think it comes from that place of how white supremacy operates. Mm -hmm. And I also believe that it comes from that place of white supremacy using Asian Americans as a wedge. Yes. And giving us the label, right? So we didn't choose the label. Mm -hmm. It was given to us of the model minority. Yes. Right. So it's that, um, you have to ignore it mm-hmm. because in order for the model minority lie mm-hmm. to function, you mm-hmm. have to ignore what happens to us because right. we're the, we're the quote, well-behaved, good yes. ones who lived out the American dream. Yeah. And even though we're not white, um, we are benefiting. Yeah. So in order for that to function and still work, in the lie, mm-hmm. then you have to perpetuate the sense that, oh, well, Asian Americans don't experience racism. Mm-hmm. And it's really that we need to um, learn how to laugh and take a joke and not be so sensitive. And many of us talk about how it's just death by a million paper cuts, right? Absolutely. It's the, the daily microaggressions where we begin to tell ourselves, well, we have to give everybody the benefit of the doubt. Mm-hmm. Because if we don't, we might walk around in a state of rage all the time, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So even the benign question, and and I use that facetiously, where are you from? No, where are you really from? Yes. Is very much that sense of you still don't belong, even though you are a model minority. Yeah. Yeah. And what... What
0: I mean, wedge is such the perfect word because what a place to be in between not belonging and yet being projected as a person who is not supposed to speak up, is not supposed to be upset, is supposed to be docile.
2: Right, right. We're supposed to be grateful Mm -hmm. to be in the place that we are. So Mm -hmm. thank you very much for allowing us Mm -hmm. to be that model minority. So we won't Mm -hmm. rock the boat, we won't complain, Mm -hmm. and we will downplay whatever happens to us. And then, you know, honestly, Kristen, some of the reality is that I have no doubt my parents who were immigrants experienced racism, but they also didn't have a category for that, right? Mm -hmm. Because they were coming from South Korea, so they didn't experience (laughs) racism, Mm-hmm. there. And so when they come as immigrants, that racism just gets chalked up to bad behavior. Mm-hmm. And maybe this is the way Americans operate. Right. <laughs> um, And they're too busy. Right. They are too busy. Right. Right. So, yeah. uh, you know, in the day to day, I didn't grow up listening to my parents catalog their experiences of racism, uh-huh. but I certainly saw it as I was getting older uh-huh. and as a child and then young adults, seeing that I have a category for that. They did not. Um, so it's not that it didn't exist. Uh-huh. That's been a part of our history since Asians came onto this land. Um, it's just that it isn't, it is not convenient for us and what happens to us to be categorized as racism.
0: Absolutely. And it just, it does seem like racism against Asian Americans is always like a step behind. It's like we collectively decide that internment camps are bad, but then we do it to the Japanese well after that's been sort of globally denounced. And then we collectively decide that, you know, really um, stereotypical tropes in movies are bad and wrong against African Americans, but these persist against Asian Americans well into the 80s and 90s. It's, it's just interesting to me that there's almost this sense of like, you know, they'll take it or we can get away with it if it's towards Asians?
2: Well, you know, I think there's some of that. Um, and I think what's challenging is that even the term or the label Asian American is challenging. Mm-hmm. It's difficult because we don't have a common um emigration experience. We mm-hmm. don't have a common story of how our people are here in the United States. We don't have a common language. I mean, the closest yeah. thing would be English, but that that really isn't even the common language for us. And so, um so I I tell people, you know, Asian American is a socio-political term mm-hmm. that was created for socio-political Organizing and engagement. And so, you know, I want to be cautious in saying, you know, the, the racism and kind of the naming of what happens to us as racism being a step behind, knowing that that racism is still prevalent and still exists yes, for the black absolutely. community, right? So yeah. it hasn't gone away. Yeah. It's just that the naming of it, I do think, takes a beat or two, uh-huh. and I do think it's partly because of the the diversity of the Asian American diaspora, mm-hmm. and and that people are becoming quote becoming Americans and becoming Asian Americans at different parts. And points of their life experience. And so it's Mm -hmm. hard Mm -hmm. even to know who is associating with that term. I mean, I didn't call myself an Asian American until I was in college Mm -hmm. in the, when was that? (laughs) In the, I was like, Oh, late eighties, early nineties, you know, until then I was Korean American. Mm -hmm. That just wasn't a term I used. Uh, and, and there's that level of, um, Associating with that experience, which really is hard to, to explain. And so I can see why it feels like and appears like, yes, the racism that we experience and are fighting against, um, it, it isn't named later for us. It is recognized later in the broader Right in the yes, in the broader yes, yes. world, so I think that's a good That's what you're getting yeah. at. It is yeah.
0: recognized and acknowledged, and I mean particularly by white people who are the yes. offenders. Yes, yes, it's yeah. to- it's just seems like it's tolerated longer. Like I just feel like even now, I just feel like white people just. I mean, even with the Atlanta shooting, have yes. a harder time recognizing racism against AAPI.
2: Yes, groups. yes. Right. And it's, I think it's especially evident with this shooting when six out of the eight mm-hmm. people murdered right. are Asian and that the businesses mm-hmm. were all, I believe, I could be wrong, so someone can correct me, but were Asian owned. uh uh-huh. Right. And so that alone, I just scratch my head and go, well, how is race not a part of this? Oh, well, it's because two non-Asians were also shot and killed. Well, okay. So it's not even a majority now.
3: Mm-hmm. <laughs> we,
2: we needed like only Asian victims uh-huh. in order to, um, in order for it to be racialized. So, um, I think it just goes back to, well, who gets to call it that? And apparently, mm-hmm. the argument is white people. I mean, I don't think so, but that that <laughs> continues to be my experience. Is that yeah. right? The people who are saying "Let's wait for the facts" are generally right. white people saying "Let's wait for the facts,"
0: despite the fact that you know, in in going out, he he knew his victims would be Asian. Like in stepping foot into the establishment, he knew right. that his oh, victims absolutely. would be Asian. Like, absolutely. It, you know, any white person caught in those crossfires was incidental. His motivation was to go to salons where he knew that the staff were Asian American.
2: absolutely, And they were women. Yes. Right. So I think that's, that's the overlay that makes it so complicated right now is, you know, for me in the circles that I'm in that are still, you know, church adjacent, faith mm-hmm. adjacent, evangelical adjacent, that conversation around, Gender mm-hmm. is live. But yeah, I mean, one of uh, the, the one woman, Delena Yawn, I believe is her name, was a customer. Mm-hmm. And so again, horrific. And because she's present mm-hmm. as a white woman, people are saying, white people generally are saying this is not a racialized incident. Yeah. Right. So it's this strange, like, reversal of the one drop rule. Yeah. That, oh, well, because there is a white victim, surely this is not a (laughs) racialized incident. Right. That's, that has to
0: be really frustrating to hear people stepping out of seeing this as a racist act.
2: Yes. But not surprising. Right. Not surprising. <laughs> right. Because right? we've been around long enough and have talked about how, um, how the black community has uh-huh. experienced this as well. Right. Yeah, like, absolutely. Oh, well, it can't possibly be that. Yeah. It, you know, and it's always the fault of the victim. Oh, yeah. Right. So it, it's not surprising. No. It's just like what, what exactly would be proof -hmm. Of this being Mm -hmm. a racist act, short of the shooter
1: saying a manifesto. Yeah,
2: right. (laughs) Right. Right. Right.
0: You've talked a bit, I know this is a really complex topic, but you've talked a bit about just the purity culture for AAPI women, the you know, misogyny um, how do you think all of that has played into this?
3: Ugh.
2: I know it's that's a big question. <laughs> that's how it's played into it, right? So, you know, and purity culture—that language is squarely within uh, a lane of mm-hmm. evangelical faith. Yeah, and um, and so if you're not in that lane, you go, what is that? And really, it's about women having to control them, their bodies, mm-hmm. how they dress, how they behave, how they look, how they, I don't know, maybe smell, all of those things, so that we don't tempt the men right. into some sort of sexual immorality. The men who obviously can't control
0: themselves no. unless we monitor right. our
2: own bodies right which is so strange because it seems like then they are really really weak yeah, and that right. we have to work really really mm-hmm. hard um, but that also plays out in the general culture right is the the slut shaming mm-hmm. and the conversations about what is appropriate dress mm-hmm. and all of those things so it's not it's not new mm-hmm. to women. Right. I think what is unique to Asian women is the, the kind of sexuality and the kind of hypersexuality, right? So it's the, mm-hmm. it's the stereotype and trope of the docile
3: mm-hmm. sex
2: worker, really, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, or the, the Asian woman somehow, and, and this is connected to militarization, <laughs> right? So yes. it's the, it's the, the women in Asian, nameless Asian countries where the, the white soldier comes and falls in love with them. Oh, oh I, I think mean, there might be a, a musical.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I'll sing it right now.
2: <laughs> so, um, so there is that trope of kind of needing mm-hmm. rescue, being at the beck and call
1: mm-hmm. of
2: the sexual needs of men. Yes. Um, particularly white men, because yeah. our men are immascul- uh yeah. what's the word? I Emasculated. can't speak. Yes, that's yeah. the big word. So there's there is that trope that gets played in media and then um gets played up in other social circles, mm-hmm. right? And then the other extreme then would be the fierce. Dragon lady Mm. who is, uh, overbearing and, um, oh, I can't think of all the words, but so there's this kind of extreme, Mm -hmm. which happens again to marginalized communities, right? We're not, we're not fully human. We're just kind of one slice of who we are. Mm -hmm. And then, and then we come, we're here in the US, and then the shooting happens. And, how it plays out is right away, I think people just assumed that the victims would be young Mm. and younger. They Mm -hmm. certainly did not assume that the youngest would be 51 years old. Right. right? And that a 70-year-old grandmother would be one of the victims. Mm -hmm. So not quite understanding even how – The the sexualized piece plays Mm -hmm. into the part of how we assume Mm -hmm. what victims will look like or what they were doing. Yeah, absolutely. For people who are kind of watching
0: this unfold and maybe having, you know, their first real reckoning of like, wow, okay, there is a lot of racism, you know, targeting API communities right now. Where do they start in attempting to be an ally or an advocate? Oh,
2: that is a good question. Um, I mean, I know I don't mean this to be too flippant, but you know, Google can be your best friend <laughs> no. right now, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Absolutely. That, um, especially for people who realize that they have very limited friendships mm-hmm, mm-hmm. with AAPI folk. Yeah. And right now you don't need to go to them and ask them to teach you all of the things. Um, that's where Google comes into play. I mm-hmm. do think that um, several of my AAPI friends and I have joked like, who are the ones reaching out to you? Right. Mm-hmm. Is it the, like, the one, or is it the white people who have you as their only Asian American friend? Right. And we can, we, we know who you are. It's yeah. okay. Um, so if that's you as the white listener, go ahead and reach out and don't ask for anything in return.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Don't ask for a response. Mm-hmm. Um, make it very clear as you reach out. I'm just reaching, you don't have to respond to this text. Mm-hmm. Or this Voxer, you just, you know, I just need you to know. I want you to know. I have been thinking about you. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that a lot of us have been really grateful for folks who have done the research beforehand. Mm-hmm. Um, if you know the person, the AAPI person you know and love is in the thick of all of this, is grieving, mm-hmm. there is nothing wrong with dropping, well, I mean, it is pandemic, so maybe you don't want to drop off food. Um, <laughs> drop off a candle. Drop, drop off, off a gift card. Right. Drop <laughs> off a gift card. Um, Venmo is your friend. DoorDash. You know, all of those mm-hmm. things I think is meaningful. Um, but I cannot express enough. I do think that one of many things lacking in American education is understanding what the Asian American experience is. Yes. So yeah. learning about our history. So yeah. like, if you know, um, and have learned about Ellis Island, and mm-hmm. you don't know about Angel Island, mm-hmm. you need to learn, mm-hmm. right? You need to Google that. And you need mm-hmm. to understand that if you are up in arms about immigration reform, mm-hmm. then you need to understand what the Chinese Exclusion Act was all about. Which is, you know, my experiences
0: was not taught. Yeah, well, not talk to me. I uh, did not learn about that until grad school.
2: Oh wow, wow. Well, you know, and I didn't learn about Angel Island until I was out of college. Mm-hmm. So, um and and I know that most. Like out here, I knew that when my kids were in elementary school learning about immigration, they didn't learn about it either. Mm -hmm. Right? So they learn about immigration as something that's frozen in time. Yeah. And um, so I'd say, like, things like that. So um, if you know about race riots and the Tulsa um, riot, then look up Tacoma riot Mm -hmm. and see what that's all about. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, uh, do some other practical work. And I and I've learned this from walking with my black friends is it's great to march with people mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's helpful and can be great time together. Just make sure you're wearing a mask and wash your hands. Um but really the work happens after. Yeah, it does. And and what are you doing to continue the learning and continue the conversations? Um, ask questions. Don't be butt hurt if you yes. don't get the answer you want. Yeah, or if you um, get it wrong. Yeah, or if you get out. it wrong and um, don't delete your social media or your post because you did something wrong. Um, and I think that's, again, I think the hard thing is I don't want to believe that it takes one-on-one relationships to change because that's mm-hmm. just going to take forever. Mm-hmm. We're all going to be dead <laughs> for change to happen if that's what it takes. But I also believe that it's in those relationships where you learn that you made a mistake. Yeah, I agree. Right? And you you told a joke that wasn't mm-hmm. funny. It wasn't yours to tell. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think that's, um, that's really where the fine tuning learning happens. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I appreciate you making that distinction for people that, you know, initially it's like we all are going, Oh my gosh, you know, my eyes are opened and let me call my Asian friend and ask them to explain all of this to me. (laughs) Like that's actually putting a burden on your friend who's likely experiencing their own grief and, feelings right now and so you know i appreciate you saying like you can google this like your asian friend is not your only source of information on this like do the work yourself and then
2: offer support yes
0: to your asian friends
2: yes yeah we we are not here to be your encyclopedia yeah um we actually would prefer friends (laughs) (laughs) you know um and 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 if, you know, you are the HR person or you're running some sort of training and you realize that you're behind in mm-hmm. providing training around AAPI um, information uh, and you would like your friend to help, pay them. Yeah. <laughs> right? Pay them. Don't expect that because you're friends, they're going to do consulting work for free. Um, but in order to really be, and and I saw this distinction online and I believe it is a quote of someone's and I can't um recall it off the top of my head, but you know, allyship is one thing, but um being a, a co conspirator yeah. or another there was another word for it, and I'm sure it may come to the top of your head, but it certainly is not mine, that it costs you something. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. And so like I can march with friends. Um, and I can march on behalf, on behalf of BLM, but that doesn't cost me mm-hmm, anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what does that look like for you as a friend? Um, yeah. and it might cost you, uh, a moment of humiliation because you made a mistake.
0: Yeah. Which, you know, I think for white people, sometimes they're more scared of making a mistake than they're scared of racism. And like, yes, you know, it's like people are dying and we're going to be silent because we don't want to be called out for like doing something
2: wrong. Yes. <laughs> like, yes. You are more afraid of being called a uh-huh. racist or your uh-huh. actions being called racist than you are of the actual impact yeah. of racism. Yes. And that's a problem, right? That's a problem. And it's a problem for white people because there is an impact for you. Yeah, you may, you know, you're not the direct recipient of that, but it does impact the world in which you live in. Yeah, absolutely. G- give me, you know, if you if you have a few
0: that are top of mind for people who mm-hmm. are wanting to learn more. Yes. What are some good, maybe Twitter follows or, you know, influencers that people can follow on the topic of
2: AAPI racism and racism. inclusion? Well, I think th- Three orgs right now that are doing things and have been doing things that come to mind. So one is more recent. It's Stop AAPI Hate. Yes. And this organization came together to simply track the violence and racism against AAPI as a result during COVID-19 because it wasn't being tracked. So that probably says something in and of itself. Um, another uh, organization that is important to me is a um, APIA Vote. So Asian and Pacific Islander American Vote. And that's part of the sociopolitical term, Asian American, is that we need to be engaged mm-hmm. in the world we're living in. Um, and so getting... Our folks registered and voting, mm-hmm. super important. Um, right now, there uh, is a website, Asian American Day of Action, um, and that is coming together um, for a virtual National Day of Action and Healing this Friday, March 26th. But it pulls together this, um, uh, it's a great resource page mm-hmm. for all of the organizations going on. They have it divided state by state so that you can take a look and see what's going on there. Um, I would say a lot of the influencing that's happening right now, I'm seeing more on Instagram Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, than, than I am following elsewhere. And so I would say um, one of my top follows would be um, uh, a Bianca Mabute Louie. Her handle is at, Bianx Z, B-E-Y-O-N-K-Z. I have liked following I followed this um
0: account forever, Angry Asian man. I feel yes. like I've followed him for like
2: 10 years and he's always yes.
0: a good resource. I mean, you know, his he he's angry. <laughs> and
2: I love that <laughs> I love about that.
0: him. <laughs> yeah. But I think he's a he's a good follow too. And then where I want to put in our show notes, you did um, you were part of A Call for Solidarity on YouTube, and I'm gonna link yes. that up too for people to watch because that was really powerful. Yes, yes. Well, thank you so much for talking with us. Where can people find you online?
2: They can find me online at Instagram and Twitter. Same handle at Ms. M S Kathy Kong. K-H-A-N-G. Correct. Thank you so, so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Kristen.
0: All right, well, it's time to chat with BJ Hickman, our resident therapist. So BJ, this past week you posted, or a couple weeks ago, you posted an article um, that resonated with a lot of us. And the title was, The Pandemic Void Only My Girlfriends Can Fill. And there was, this quote was particularly salient to me. Functionally, the pandemic has turned all friends into long-distance friends. This is particularly true for those of us in cold climates, where weather has eliminated a bastion of sanity: outdoor, in-person gatherings. Some of us are lucky enough to have pods that include multiple families, but that never worked well for my group of local friends. Um, how, how has this been affecting you? Like, have you know? Because I know both of us have like we really have not been gathering with friends in the middle of this.
3: Yeah, and to be honest. I most of my friends don't live locally most of my friendships are long distance and I travel to see my friends or I see my friends when they're in the area and none of us have been traveling so um the way it's affected me has been that I have begun to recognize how many friendships I had I'll, well here honestly I'll put it this way I've kind of begun to reassess my friendships and realized the people who have been checking on me during this pandemic mm-hmm. win. Mm-hmm. They're the winners. They're the ones that get to be my friend after it's all over with. And not that I don't have friends that I'm, I'm going to be connected to, but one of the things in the article was that, that resonated with me was it said, I've never been someone who was good at staying in constant contact with people long distance.
0: Mm-hmm. But the
3: impact was less than it's been yeah. Since I've been at the pandemic and the, that's kind of true about me, but I've got the kind of friendships with these women that we don't have to talk a lot in order to stay close. And so I've, one of the things I realized is I have been. My word for 2020, this is comical, and I laugh about it every time I see it, it's still on a little Post-it note in my office, was invite. Mm. And the primary <laughs> reason I chose that word was because I wanted to invite more mature women into my life, and I wanted a local girlfriend that was closer to my age, because uh-huh. most of my girlfriends are younger than I. Uh-huh. and. Then I look over at that, and every time I see it, I just laugh like, God, you're funny. And that's kind of – you've got a sense of humor. That worked because out well. Yes, I haven't been able to invite anyone to anything in this whole year. And I haven't. Like you, we've been very secluded, and we've had a pod, and we've stayed very um, tight in our circle. and you know, my girlfriends are everywhere. Most of them are in their 30s and 40s, and they have children, and they have busy lives. And we would see each other two or three times a year, and we would text randomly. Um, my very, very, very best friend still lives in my hometown, 1600 miles away from where I live. And we've been that far apart for 37 years, and she's wow. still my ride or die, and we will have sometimes two and three hour f- phone calls. Um, because we'll go months without talking to each other. And then suddenly, she'll text me at 530 in the morning, and we'll text for two hours. But then we'll go another two months without connecting. And that's always been how it's worked for me. And that's been great. But in this pandemic, the people that I've, I've thought were outside of those that group of people that I thought were really close friends, and some of them were people that are kind of close, that we would get together with them often. And I'm realizing how those people have hardly reached out to me at all. And mm. I've reached out to them to, to silence at times. And I get that it's hard and I'm not judging anyone at all for not reaching out. What I'm recognizing is when I look at those friendships through the lens that I have today, after a year of not being together. I'm realizing I don't miss those people a lot. Mm. The people I'm missing are the ones who really connect with me. And those are all younger women. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I began to come to terms with as I looked around and I thought, you know, really went inward during this time and spent a lot of time thinking about that whole concept of why did I choose that word with that longing only to find myself in a year with no connection to anyone local any women that are candidates for this kind of person that i was hoping to attract and i realized that part of it is my generation most of the women i've met that are closer to my age um are not they've not really sought to grow the main thing they want to talk about is their bodies, what they can or can't eat, and other people. Hmm. And was it you or someone was telling me, I think it was actually one of my clients was saying that she had read that our generation has produced the most narcissists. I'm a baby boomer, but I'm on the very tail end of them. Yeah, the younger end. And I think that's probably true. And I think there's a very good reason for it. Our parents were taught the whole culture of parenting, when our parents were parenting, my generation Mm -hmm. was one of detachment. Yeah, the father was authoritarian. Uh He was admonished not to be too nurturing, because then it would be confusing when he disciplines the child. Mothers were taught not to hold their babies too much because they would spoil them. So it makes sense to me that that would be the story of my generation. And so I'm realizing that's the women that I've encountered that have kept me from nurturing deep friendships with Mm. women my age, where these younger women are all, most of them are therapists or they're working in the field of, of emotional health and they've all done their own work. Mm -hmm. They're all really relational. Mm -hmm. Most of them are all introverts like me. (laughs) Um, and that's just who I connect better with. And what I've come to acceptance is is why am I looking for someone my age? Why am I what am I saying to myself about these friendships? And I realized mm. in the distance I'd begun to say, well, they don't want to be friends with a sixty-three year old woman. I'm 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 their mother's age. They're younger than my kids, some of them. And what I've realized is none of them feel that way. No. <laughs> that was my story. Yeah. And I I think what I was—I do know that what I was longing for was some level of maternal mentoring. Mm-hmm. Not that I need a mentor as much as I want someone to nurture me from the top down, because that's the role I always play. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. my relationships—these peripheral relationships—that I'm now deciding I—I I might not want to nurture the way I have in the past. It's because that's what the relationship consisted of. Mm-hmm. I was nurturing, but I was not getting anything yeah. in return that totally. looked like nurturing. I was getting things in return, but it wasn't that. And I was just longing for someone who really cared about me yeah, and reached out to me and and nurtured me. And in this pandemic, some of these younger women have done exactly that very organically mm. in very amazing ways that I'm seeing, I mean, I've always seen their wisdom and often have learned from them, but this was a different layer Mm -hmm. where, um, they just came to me with this kind of maternal, loving way that I often show up in relationship with. And I got to be the recipient of that. That's
0: really cool.
3: yeah. So I think it was one of those ways that this pandemic shone a light on something that I thought was a certain way. Mm-hmm. And without it, I might have pursued something th- following that same path that, you know, that dance I knew and not have been satisfied by it at all. And instead I'm really kind of re. Uh, framing the way I see the friendships that I have and have spoken overtly to these friends and said, hey, hey, here's what I've learned. And with every one of them, there's just been this, oh my God, I feel honored. I want to be in mm. th- in that role with you. Totally. And so, yeah. And I I've never been one who let gender or age mm-hmm. prohibit friendship for me ever. Mm. Totally. And it, and that has been incredibly valuable in my life. And so I think, I don't know, it was interesting to just kind of work through that. But I think as we, as, as I was reading that article, that's what really resonated with me. And that's what I saw resonating with the women in the group mm-hmm. that we're feeling that absence so greatly. And I think the people we feel the least judgmental towards and the people that we feel the least abandoned by. Are the ones that we know where we stood with them before the pandemic. Yeah. And this has made us go, hmm, uh-huh. maybe that wasn't what I thought it was. And yeah. maybe it's a good time for me to assess the value of that and does, and maybe just get curious about whether it's going to look different or be better or be worse or, or maybe not be at all yeah. on the other side of it. One of this article kind of ended with um, just kind of talking about having all these good intentions for staying in contact and that kind of thing, and how it just never seemed to play out. and Um, she said, Instead, I'll use any remaining brain space to plot the contours of my perfect lady committee, where opinionated women laugh loudly and often and there is no laundry, no malfunctioning devices, and the meals cook themselves. I'll keep (laughs) texting my friends in all caps. I miss you, I love you, I'm so tired. Where are we having our girls getaway when this is over? Mm. And that's kind of where I am. I'm like I think we're so exhausted. And if we have friendships with people that are also really exhausted, I think we understand yeah. when that relationship was already something really yeah. nurturing and loving and, and and inclusive, and and it's given us the ability to give more grace, and that means something. Yeah, that means something in who you've chosen to be friends with. Totally, and I think that's why. The ones that are still going to be there on the other side uh-huh. are the ones that kind of earned their way in before it ever started.
0: I think you're right. I think you're right.
3: And you know, you said something to me the other day too about have we forgotten how to be friends and how to be social? Yeah. And somebody else mentioned that in the group. And I, th- I think we need to talk about that a little bit.
0: Yeah. We do. I mean, maybe, maybe we need to like make that our next segment. Like that's big. Yeah. Those social muscles that we've lost and how to get it back and how to normalize it and how to not freak out. I think that is a really good conversation for us to have.
3: I think so too. I think we need to begin. I think it's a good time as we see the vaccines rolling out, we see we're not anywhere near out of the water yet, but we can at least see the shore. And I think this is the time we start talking about how do we get our bodies ready, our hearts and our minds, our nervous systems ready for the day that things open back up, not just in yeah. friendships, yeah. but you know, preparing our kids for going back in, into the yeah. world, you know, negotiating relationships again all of it i think that's a full topic that we we should probably dive into
0: i think you're right i'm i'm jotting that down for our next talk Hey, thank you for joining us. Continue the self-care conversation with us on Instagram at, at Selfie Podcast and in the Selfie Podcast community group on Facebook.
1: You can also visit our website to check out the resources we've talked about in each episode
0: at selfiepodcast.com. Make sure to subscribe to Selfie on iTunes so you can catch up with us next week. Take care.